0: Wednesday on an all-new Enterprise. My people are dying. Will you help us? Before there was a prime directive, the fate of millions weighed on a captain's conscience. I believe your compassion for these people is affecting your judgment. My compassion guides my judgment. An all-new Enterprise.
1: takes. I'm your host, Notch Garnick, and with me, along with the animals in Phlox's sick bay are... Bill Wad.
2: Diana Fail.
1: Max.
3: And Emily bowen Marlar. <laughs> <laughs> bringing up the rear. <laughs> Dramatic pause. <class. laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I really wanted you all to have to wait for it. Um, <laughs> the payoff was incredible. <laughs> well, hey, you know, this is Strange New Takes. I do know what I'm doing. Uh, this is Strange New Takes, a Star Trek-themed pod that we started to talk about the new show strange new worlds yay (laughs) and we decided we should just get started and talk about all new star trek and now there's no new star trek so we're going back and taking a look at some of the moral dilemmas that star trek has wrestled with and this week we are tackling our first episode from enterprise dear doctor
4: make sure to follow us on social media at strange new takes on facebook instagram and twitter
5: And if you're enjoying the podcast, please be sure to go ahead and tell your friends about us.
1: Also, if you give us a five-star rating on iTunes, I will read those on the podcast. And the reason is that we really like getting new listeners. When folks search for Star Trek on podcast search feeds, the iTunes rating is what pushes things higher or lower. So if you give us a five-star rating, we appear higher on those search lists. So much appreciate you going and giving us that rating.
2: So, our obligatory spoiler warning is coming right now. I'm giving it to you at this moment. This episode um, features, I mean, like all Enterprise episodes, features like a I don't want to wait for our lives to be over style uh, credit opening, which is very dated. So, it's been all around for a long time. But just in case you have not seen it and don't want to get spoiled on it, turn that dial to something else. Otherwise, stick with us because we're going to have a really good time.
1: All right. Well, next week, we'll be talking about Fast tense from Deep Space Nine. It's from the third season of Deep Space Nine. So watch the two-parter. Uh, it's a treat. Not just one episode to watch each week. You can watch two Star Trek. We give you that permission. Uh, you can go ahead and do that. So, and we'll cover it next weekend. All right, Bill. Dear Dr. Is the 13th episode of Enterprise's first season. It was uh, first aired on 23 J- January 2002. It was written by Maria Jacques Metton and Andre Jacques Metton. I saw that word. I hadn't read it before. I hadn't seen it before. It <laughs> almost it. stopped me you in my track, done. but I got it. Well done, yeah. match. Yeah. It's directed by James A. Kontner. And Bill, you nominated this for our Marvel Dilemma series. So why don't you give us an episode summary before Strange New Takes?
4: Well, uh, I'll read the summary. So <clears throat> as Dr. Phlox adjusts to life aboard the Enterprise, the crew attempts to assist a culture that has been stricken by a planet-wide plague. And maybe just a little bit of color commentary on top of this, this is you know, really a, all about Phlox. This is the Phlox show, and it's a Phlox character piece <laughs> in addition to being a moral dilemma. So um, I'm sure we'll we'll get into that a lot more as we discuss.
1: <clears throat> all right, strange new takes, folks. Uh, someone put my name on the list first so I get to go <laughs> You're up. and I uh, well I am up yes that is correct I happen to really get annoyed by the lack of mirrors in my house because <laughs> no control. Over that. I I do, I do, but this, I mean, you can't wait to hear where this is going. (laughs) Mirrors are expensive, man. And, like, you know, it's like putting them up is kind of a pain because you got to be careful that they fall and they break. Like, most other picture frames, these are the plastic. So, like, they're heavy. Right, exactly. They're heavy. So, you do all this, like, heavy-duty mounting stuff the problem is when you don't have a mirror sometimes for example hypothetically it happened to a friend of mine that he was getting ready for his podcast and then the camera came on and then he noticed his hair standing <laughs> up in five different places because he's been doing diy work all morning is and hasn't like you? worn Are a hat this happen to
4: uh,
1: <laughs> i i don't know so embarrassing right and yeah. i was just thinking like there's a lot mirrors in my broadcast. house i'm so
4: sorry <laughs> i
1: would i would catch this stuff before the zoom turned on anyway um but this episode is interesting because it's got some of those classic trekky, like let's throw in a funny word here, or like make this people really strange and different. So, <laughs> so it's kind of odd, but at the same time, it's such a compelling story. Um, and I like the way that we get the aliens' view of humanity
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: as kind of a guiding principle throughout, and that uh, how well it neatly ties into the moral dilemma too. I really yeah. like that.
2: Cool. Yeah, I so I'm as, as always, I'm completely unprepared for like a real life strange new take. So thanks much for like, being that person for us. I feel like I can't really recommend that you even go to like the portrait of yourself in the attic, because that's clearly aging, and you can't use it as a real life mirror sorry my condolences um yeah i think so we were talking a little bit about this like off off camera off, off mic um a couple minutes ago but this is the first episode i've watched of enterprise in i mean maybe since maybe since it came out uh the first season i think i haven't watched past the first season at all and so I came into this fairly fresh, um, with not really a whole lot of ideas about who each character was and what role they played, and the world of this of this show. Um, and yeah, I liked I liked it a lot more than I was expecting to. I think I had like a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of prejudice in my head about uh, what um, Enterprise is and was. Um, but I think what what it showed me too, like beyond how much I appreciated this episode in general, it showed me like the power of the connection between the A plot and the B plot, and when the A plot and the B plot are not connected, there are some narrative issues that tend to get caught up at the end. So that's, I mean, if I'm going to talk about my writing grievance, that's the one. Um, But yeah, overall, I liked this episode significantly more than I thought I would. (laughs)
5: and um I think for for my strange new takes here I'm gonna keep it all star trek related um we we actually just recently finished up watching deep space mm-hmm. nine we we worked our way through the entire series during the it. pandemic and uh, I'm just gonna jump right into a little bit of controversy here. I hope I don't offend anyone by saying this but um the final episode oh, of deep space nine was not as good as I remembered. Such it was a, a little bit of a letdown after a great kind of buildup during the final season. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I hope we get a chance to talk about that in a little more detail mm-hmm. at some point down the road here, but I'd be curious to get your thoughts. Um, you know, for this episode, you know, kind of like Dinah, I haven't watched a whole lot of enterprise recently, but, um, I, I really enjoyed this. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I like this a lot more than I was expecting to. Um, There's something, though, about this series and the words faith and heart. And (laughs) with that theme song, every time somebody says faith or heart, I just like can't stop laughing to myself. (laughs) But anyway, uh, that's that's a bit of a strange new take for you.
3: Uh, Well, uh, my son turns three today and it's very happy birthday and it's so fun to watch this struggle between I'm a bigger boy and I'm still a little boy (laughs) because (laughs) we're trying to get him to 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 change some of his his habits like he has a little pacifier Mm -hmm. and we told him we've been preparing him that now that he's three he needs to find a baby to give that pacifier to because (laughs) he doesn't need it anymore because he's Mm -hmm. a bigger boy and so i heard he and travis um having a, a debate about whether or not Dietrich actually was a bigger boy. He says, no, I'm, I'm, I, but I'm still a little boy. I think I still need it. So oh. Anyway, so it's just fun. I think, I think we do that at a lot of stages in our life where we're like, yeah, I'm getting older, but wait, no, no, I don't want to do that next thing. So, anyway, um, my strange new take for this episode, I feel like the sub, title could be Getting to Know You, Getting to Know All About You, because it just feels like, uh, you know, Phlox is getting to know more about humans and humanity, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we have even have the moment where Captain Archer says um, he's starting to understand how the Vulcans might mm-hmm. have felt, and so I just thought, oh, this is a nice episode where you're kind of learning to lean into others' perspectives, and mm-hmm. so...
4: Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Okay, <clears throat> I'm gonna share a factoid for my strange new take. So, uh, the Mars Perseverance rover successfully yeah. landed oh on God. Mars. Oh, I, I I watched it. Not gonna lie, I almost cried. Oh. I got really I got really <laughs> close. So, um, and uh, it, the Mars Perseverance rover, and I think all Mars missions have been powered by a kind of plutonium. I think it's plutonium 238 that was they stopped making it in the 80s and so there's only there, there's like hardly any left like there's enough left to do like one or two more missions and oh then that's my it God. yeah what?
1: <laughs> can we make more
4: yeah. i mean it's possible but there's no infrastructure I mean, like to to do it yeah get source. the dilithium ready Yeah, do it right <laughs> 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 crystals. um in terms of in terms of this episode, I mean, I, I would echo what Dinah said. I, I thought it was charming. I really enjoyed it. Um, mm-hmm. And I really like the Phlox character, and mm-hmm. I, hopefully we can get into this during the discussion. But it's interesting to contrast Phlox with, um, like, Data and, and Spock mm-hmm. and those characters mm-hmm. that are supposed to be kind of a mirror for humanity with... With Data and Spock and, and how it's approached right. differently. And and also, I think, thinking about the Denobulans and the way they are presented is v- really interesting when you compare it with other alien species. So oh, yeah, nice. I, th- I thought it was great. I thought it was a lot of fun. <clears throat> yeah.
1: Someday we can talk a little bit more about Enterprise because I feel like Enterprise also has like a couple of those characters because that's also basically why T'Pol is there. Well, right. she's mm-hmm. there for other reasons too, unfortunately. But yes, I mean, <laughs> that is her, like a lot of her Vulcan characteristic is being mm-hmm. kind of this antagonist to the human desire for exploration, but anyway, I'm getting mm-hmm. into the discussion now, which I said I wouldn't do. So let's <laughs> let's move on. Bill, you picked, I think, a, a real cracker for us with moral dilemmas. Uh, so how do you want us to to talk about them? Like, what 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 do you is uh, is the core question at the heart of this uh, episode, or are there several core questions?
4: Well, I think that the core moral dilemma is like: should they have saved the Velakians, mm-hmm. or or not, or did they do the right thing?
2: Mm-hmm.
4: So I would offer that up. What do you guys think?
2: Ooh. So I'm I'm, I'm going to stall a little bit, no. <laughs> a but I'm, I will get there. But I thought it was interesting about this episode in in contrast to other moral dilemma episodes that we've done so that we've done so far. Usually, what happens is like what whoever is the focus of the episode is the person who's really presented with the moral dilemma. Where like Archer is presented with a moral dilemma by one of the Valakians, one of, like the, the scouts, um, but he he's not the main character in this episode, really. It's like Flock, it, it, the the moral dilemma occurs to Flocks like off screen, and he comes to Archer with this moral dilemma, but he's never like he's not presented with a moral dilemma the way that like Janeway was with Tuvix or. Um, the card was with the drumhead, right? Like the, it's a, it's a slightly different way that this moral dilemma is presented within the episode, which I thought was was really cool. like it it doesn't you don't have to have somebody be like, do you need this or this in order for the main character to be like, this is actually a moral dilemma that I'm I'm considering, I'm thinking about. Um, you know, I think I do think that um, Flox did the right thing. I think that was the right, ultimately, the right choice. Um. And I think it's it's really highlighted by the idea that Flux um, mentions with the the Mank when the humans are getting upset about the Mank and their hierarchy with the Vlachians on the planet and how the Mank are like not really bothered by it, but the humans are very bothered by it. And the idea is like, nobody asked you to save them, nobody wants you to save them. So like, why are you why are you trying to rush in and change things? Because and well, the, the difference is obviously the Velkians are literally asking them to. Save them, but it, it's a. It's a <laughs> but, but, but I think the uh, the idea that humans have the role of the responsibility of saving other cultures or interfering with other groups is, you know, I think it's the the heart of Starfleet and the the question of the Prime Directive ultimately.
1: Well, I was gonna say, if only there was some sort of directive. Directive. That could, if only there was some prime way. Prime our thinking for this uh, as could, we embark we... as astronauts on some kind of. Star Trek, if you will. <laughs> oh, my
2: God. Well, it's like, it like, it kind of Scott Bakula really, like, nailed that. Where he's just like, yeah, you know, if, well, once we have that <sighs> directive.
4: <laughs> it's literally like, the gaze,
2: bed. It's, it's, gaze, yeah, it, it really is. Really <laughs> is. God, you really fucked that one up. It's incredible. Um, but yeah, I, ultimately, I'll say that I do agree with what Flux and ultimately Archer come away with. Is that, like, there's no way to, to do this without fucking things up.
1: Yeah, I I, I don't have an answer, but I do have just a quick statement about this dilemma, which is in so many of these episodes that we've talked about, it's been about many people or few people in the Mm -hmm. future or now. And here it's many people now or many, many many-year people in the future, (laughs) potentially. Mm -hmm. And I I just don't know even how to start thinking about that.
3: Mm -hmm. I think there's – so, yes, the moral dilemma is, um, you know, do you save the Wallachians or not? But that dilemma doesn't actually, you know, so we talked about doesn't actually make an appearance in the episode until very close right. to the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This was another slow burn kind yeah. of like sitting on the edge of forever, where it took a really long time to kind of get into mm-hmm. any feeling that there was going to be some dilemma. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think the dile- there was another dilemma. I mean, and this is why there's the dilemma mm-hmm. to save the Velokians or not. But the other dilemma is introduced earlier with the Mank. Because they kind of they they um they wrote it in such a way that your little you know the little red flags go up. You're mm-hmm. like, ah, something's not right here mm-hmm. with this the mink. You know, like you just kind of have this feeling that it's mm-hmm. not not maybe as uh, cut and dry as the Wallachians want it to seem. You know, mm-hmm. um, and so it's it's also a matter of like so you know I'm watching it. And I'm like, oh, this has. Uh, you know hints of apartheid in South Africa, mm-hmm. um, and especially when you start hearing more about how the Mank live that they are they aren't allowed to live in areas that have resources. And I'm like, oh, ding, ding, ding! This is absolutely South Africa mm-hmm. uh, during apartheid. You know, I mean, moving people to the most desolate parts of the mm-hmm. country, and then you know find ways to get some resources to them. But um, so, so that seemed to be that was that was the to me was actually the heart the dilemma, the mm-hmm. heart of the episode as far as the dilemma, or not mm-hmm. the heart of the, you know what I'm trying to say, I think. Right. Yeah. I almost feel like that was the bigger dilemma in the episode was we're what we're seeing something happen here that maybe we're not quite mm. we're not quite sure that this should be happening. and And I found interesting that flocks had one view of it. Mm-hmm. when he was with the two human crew people like so he was with um i'm i'm so bad that i cannot remember people whose names hoshi are, and who cutler. are not the main character well i know hoshi okay what cutler. was the other one cutler cutler, cutler. cutler thank you i had to remember them because the i was like i don't per- know who these people are. Yeah, the peripheral <laughs> characters i never remember their names um so hoshi and cutler when he was with them he seemed to think it was strange that they were finding compassion and sight. you know really wanting to to see the mink as the underdog and kind of mm-hmm. wanted to address that right But then when Phlox takes the big moral dilemma of the episode Mm -hmm. to Captain Archer, Phlox is the one who is feeling like the Menk are the ones he needs to be fighting for. Whereas back at the camp, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but Phlox kind of had the the tone of, oh, but they're happy slaves. Like, Mm. like it kind of felt that way. Like, oh, they don't seem to be unhappy with what they're doing. They seem to be okay with their lot in life. So why should we... Mm. Why should we do anything to address that? You know, why do we want to change anything? They all seem perfectly happy. They seem to coexist. So I found that interesting that Phlox had one, he had one perspective. And mm. I don't know if that meant that Cutler and Hoshi changed his mind, like spending mm. more time with them uh, changed him. But he was really wanting to fight for the the mink. I think, when he ultimately presented the dilemma to Archer. huh.
5: Yeah, I, I agree with you. That struck me, too. Um, and I think it was one of those things where, you know, while watching it, not really thinking about it too hard, <laughs> I was kind of like, okay, yeah, this this is making sense. This is fine. But then I think after the fact, I was kind of like, wait a minute. He was just saying something completely different when they were on the planet. And I feel like, you know, I, I don't think anything in terms of, like, you know, the writing or the explanation mm-hmm. was kind of egregious there, but I think there could have been more done to to flesh sort of his train of thought out.
2: What I think maybe is the 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 distinction and this is like conjecture because i've literally just thought about this because you you guys literally just brought it up but um is that i think Flox is very much not convinced that intervention needs to happen all the time like human intervention like the the thing about like he notices um humans like archer and hoshi and cutler are very um concerned about like what their moral responsibility is and how they should intervene in certain situations in order to fulfill that moral responsibility, and it's it seems like Cutler's uh, the Flux's um, stance on it so far seems to be more like your maybe your moral responsibility is to never intervene. So like with the with the Mank, he's like, why? Who asked you to intervene with the, like what Mank asked you to intervene with this? So why are you thinking about intervening? And then for the Velackians, it's like, well, if you don't intervene, this thing will happen, and then the Mank will be you know the natural successors on the planet like so you shouldn't intervene it's it's less about like what you should be doing and more about like what you should not be doing maybe Whoa. you know uh, I, maybe i mean, maybe it's a convenient distinction but that's that seems to be like the the through line between both of those in mm-hmm. those parts of the flip-flop is like you're it's not your responsibility to to change anything it's actually your responsibility to not change things
1: well, and I think I think as part of that also is that he it takes him some time to process what he's seeing in the genomes, right? Like how they're evolving and like mm.
2: he,
1: he sees that there's gonna be this shift and in, in in what the who the mank are as a species. Mm-hmm. I think for me it brought up some questions about um and and really good questions about how we see who is a sentient person Mm. versus an animal uh draft animals for example um and and or pets and it's it's kind of interesting right they've got four two hands two legs a face and star trek alien face makeup and so they're people right like Mm -hmm. obviously they're people they speak um but could we i mean at what point does I mean, we we have the convenience on this planet of being the only species uh, of bipeds walking around that docks. <laughs> so it's kind of easy for us mm-hmm. to categorize that at that angle and say, like, OK, it's fine. I keep my dog in my house. I create my dog, uh, you know, at night or I don't let my cat out of the house, uh, you know. And we make up things like cats domesticated themselves. They're quite happy. I mean, they're fine eating dry kibble every day. Uh, and whining at me at five o'clock, it's fine. My cat's been whining at me for food for hours. It's okay, right? Like, it's just <laughs> a just cat. <laughs>
4: um,
1: but but this is, I mean, but this is the question, right? If you talk to the Wallachians, they would probably say very similar stuff about the Mank because they, to them, it's, it's like, they might have a different distinction there. And this is how, I mean, it's just how morality and ethics can be such a, difficult place to navigate sometimes and we make arbitrary distinctions that make our lives Mm -hmm. easier to handle and process mentally for ourselves um to reduce those tricky questions that we create for ourselves Mm. and so so that that's something that like this whole mank Velakian thing brings up for me and it's it's beautifully done in this episode because i think the other thing about it is that there's no like the mank guy doesn't like suddenly become shakespeare and start eloquently speaking in English and like explaining his people's troubles and like they seem, I think there is the idea that he's, that they're content and that we have these hints of intelligence. So I think the episode doesn't clearly push us into one camp or the other.
2: I think what's interesting. So, I mean, this is a side, this is an interesting part of this episode is that like, obviously this is the beginning of universal translator technology and Hoshi is still working really hard on, calibrating things, but she's able to translate the Wallachians very easily. And with the Mank, she's never able to translate with using the universal translator. So she's like using her like English to Mank dictionary (laughs) on her like recorder, but she's not able to like actually can like speed up or um, smooth over the process of communication. And I think that that adds to the idea of the Manker like, oh, we're seeing some signs of intelligence from these people. Like they have a full language and they have a full culture but like because the, commu- the communication is difficult for between them the mank and starfleet and then also the mank and the valakians the idea of the mank as like being a subspecies or being like a lesser creature lesser being is like perpetuated because the valakians are able to tell us in you know star trek english oh they're they're lesser people and because like we can't tra- we can't communicate with them like okay yeah sure i see it you know i think it's, it's an interesting it's like one culture reporting on another culture to a third culture and then the third culture having to translate what that means for them emotionally and sociologically too. I, you know? I, th-
1: I think that's an appropriate read, obviously, but I, th- I also think the writers are trying to push the idea that there is some actual, like, that there, there's something going on grid that is actually there because flux says that they've made huge strides I forget exactly what he says, but he, basically he says that they have evolved their evolution as a species as the Mank has sped up, which is why he he got co- when he comes to Archer and they argue. And I think the was it the mess hall or wherever it was, he basically says that because this disease is occurring to the Valachians, the Manx evolution as a species is also sped up. So their, mm. their physiology is changing. Mm. And so... I think this is that same core question of how we interpret Star Trek versus what the writers want us to, to, mm-hmm. to take on. And so the way I went was that there is actually some actual like issue here um, of, of comprehension um, and, and physiology. But again, this is one of those things Again, it's It's like, I think this is one of those ethical things. Like, is it like, w- what difference do all of these distinctions make? Right. At the end mm. of the day, like that I'm talking about, like they're mank, like they're, why should any of these like lines that I'm drawing and say this is, you know, smart and this is not? Like, why should that matter?
3: Mm. Yeah. Well, that and you know, but that matters it's so interesting. It was so interesting to me to hear Archer trying to work through um the dilemma there with flocks. Mm-hmm. Because I'm everything Archer was saying, I was like, Oh dude, you sound like a terrible person right now. Like <laughs> like I was it's like, oh, but the Wallachians, they're so evolved. He he did yeah. not say these exact words, but right. this is how it felt. The Wallachians are so evolved, and look, they have all these shiny things. Shouldn't we do all we can to save them? Because the Mank, they just live in these camps. And so, I mean, who knows if the Mank are really capable of doing this amazing thing and making these shiny buildings. So that's how it felt when he mm-hmm. was talking. like. It, like he just he was gonna favor the ones that looked the most like him mm-hmm. that uh had you know seemed more seemed the most capable of achieving the things that humanity has achieved um mm-hmm. and uh and the the human women in the episode were that was not how where are there. And, and that was Captain Archer's compassion, right? Because, mm-hmm. because the Wallachians were desperate to be saved. They were desperate to find a cure for yeah. this. And so that's what was where his compassion was being moved. But with Hoshi and Cutler, it, their compassion was being moved by what they saw as oppression happening of the mank. And so I just, and I mean, and ultimately Archer, you know, chose the way I kind of felt he should have, mm-hmm. but, um, But it was... Anyway, I just found it... I was kind of unsure how I felt about Archer's (laughs) process in there anyway. Mm -hmm.
5: So um, as a quick aside, I love that scene that that I think you're referring to where... Um, you've got Archer kind of sitting alone in the mess hall stewing on all this. And it looks at first like he's drinking whiskey, like a badass. <laughs> but then he gets up and refills his glass and it's iced tea. And it's just like, what the hell? What kind of psycho like sits alone at night drinking iced tea, trying to solve this moral dilemma. I
2: need more tea. But <laughs> I, I need more tannin. So
5: <laughs> switching gears uh, here. I do want to weigh in on this moral dilemma mm-hmm. real quick though, because I feel like I haven't given my, my take here yeah. and, Um, I'm, I'm going to plant my flag and say that they made the wrong decision here. Um, and I, the reason I say that is because, and, and notch, I think you're spot on, you know, um, I think the, the way we evaluate this decision always comes down to some kind of arbitrary distinction. But I think the, the distinction that I'm seeing and that I think is important here is, um, the frame of reference that they're using to sort of judge Mm. the, the morality of the decision is, um on the planetary scale. Mm-hmm. So they're saying, like, on this planet, we have kind of this setup, and we have these two species. And within that context, we think that, you know, these people are going to evolve, and they're going to overtake these other people. But I I think that, you know, really, we should be looking, um, if we are going to take sort of that evolutionary perspective, we should be taking a broader view of this, and not just be thinking about what's happening on one planet, right? Because like, You know, who knows what either one of these species are going to go out and and do on other planets and the ways that they might interact with others Mm -hmm. in the future. And I think that in, you know, in Star Trek, we also have a long history of, you know, in, in medical emergencies, tending to the Romulans, the Klingons, mm-hmm. the Borg, you know, species that are, I would say, kind of more warlike and more oppressive um, than than the folks that we see here. Mm-hmm. And it's always seemed like that is, um, you know, an important tenet of kind of the, the Federation mission. You know, when you come across someone in distress uh, in a medical emergency, you help them, um, regardless of whether they're your, your enemy or your ally. And lastly, I, I'll just say that, you know, I think we're also really... Kind of dealing with hypotheticals here, yeah. and I think that mm-hmm. you know when you're saying um, this could happen, you know, thousands mm-hmm. of years in the future, um, that's great. But I think I think it's probably more important to deal with the practical realities of what we know is happening right now.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. I
1: I, I do also want to point out one thing about the discussion of racism, which is that it is absolutely an applicable moral dilemma here, but it shouldn't really influence the decision of whether to give the medicine because the appropriate penalty for being racist is not slowly having your species die out with a uh, genetic disorder over 200 (laughs) years, right? Like that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's a, that's a pretty heavy thing to say. Like we're going to let your entire species, which has existed for thousands of years, die because of that. Now, I mean, it's so I feel like, yes, that that, that that question of compassion and intervention is a big one. And it's so it's I mean, there's so many episodes of Starfleet on the prime Directive. Maybe we could even do just a prime directive uh, <laughs> series on those. <laughs> but here, I think there is also the question of like, is there something that that, you know, the, the, the medicine question mm. um. I think Max, you really hit it on the head, which is, what it, it comes out to me is the hypothetical. I just don't, I don't know how to make sense of it. Um, and, and, yeah.
2: Yeah, it does It does kind of make me wish that the, that Fox wasn't just like, yeah, I actually did invent the cure. I found it. You know, as opposed to like, this would take actually years for me to, to figure out. And I don't think we, we are responsible for sticking around for years. Like, I do wish that within the episode, it wasn't like, ah, you know, I found this really... It's easy to find and I did it, did it myself with my own two hands and so I could solve everyone's problems right now. You know, there's a little bit of like that convenience, like very like, I have all the tools.
4: But Bill, you
1: haven't. Sorry, Bill, you haven't yeah. said much.
4: Yeah, um, I think that the. Um, the thing about the mank for me, like as I was watching the episode, I kind of thought like, oh, OK, this is going to be it. They'll be oppressed and then it'll be should they save them or not and um and i felt like that was almost a red herring or like a you know they they juked around that and then they introduced like the larger issue but i think it is it, it is relevant right it's supposed to leave you with this kind of greasy feeling like okay something feels kind of weird about this um and it speaks to the prime directive which is the overarching issue here right and then um you know, I think as Dinah, as you said, I think flox's position is actually consistent if you view it that way about being non-interventionist. And like within universe, we are, you know, led to believe or, or led to conclude that they did the right thing, right? They basically, um, mm-hmm. you know, foresaw what the prime directive would, would become later on and acted in that way. But I, Max, I, I mean, I, I kind of agree with you. I think the prime directive is kind of, stupid or simplistic <laughs>
5: that's why picard violates I mean, it nine times
2: time. <laughs>
4: the, yeah yeah i mean the idea that you can like never tell what's right or wrong mm. right? right it's mm-hmm. like i mean sometimes sure like it's very complex you could do what you think is the right thing and it turns out to have like ramifications that you didn't foresee sure but like also sometimes it's like you should be able to tell you know
2: <laughs> yeah also like in terms of like a, like an example of of you know, obviously the Prime Directive doesn't doesn't exist at this point, but like of breaking the Prime Directive, like this, this society, these societies are already aware of warp technology. They just can't make it themselves. You know, so it's not even like, man, you've come in and you completely ruined our entire society. Like the one with Picard where they they like start worshipping him because They think he's a magician or like a god because of warp technology, (laughs) right? Like that one is very much like you shouldn't fuck with this culture. Sorry, Picard. But then there are other ones where it's like, yeah, we already know about the Ferengi. Like we've already we, we know about this technology. We just can't do it ourselves. So it's a little bit different in the in the way that the prime directive would be applied to this particular these particular uh,
4: well, and they, civilizations. Well, they talk
5: about both of those. I mean, they talk about should we give them warp drive and right. should we give them the cure. So it's like, you know, they're they're sort of feeling out things. these different issues. Mm-hmm. And I I feel like yeah, warp drive they should probably not yeah. get. Uh, but the cure. the cure to the disease, yeah, maybe maybe that would be good.
4: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I I think that the final kind of question about the technology aspect was uh kind of interestingly woven in. Like I, I again that I feel like I'm talking about the writing here a little bit, but like it, it just it isn't like the first thing that comes up, right? It it's because they he refuses to give the medicine. He's like, Well, if you're not gonna help us, how about you let us help ourselves? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um yeah, it's, I, I I try to put myself in Archer's place and I just cannot, cannot, like I still, after hearing everybody make all these decisions, I don't know, <laughs> I, th- I think it would have to be one of those like calls where like, uh, dude, the shuttle is leaving in like five minutes and you either got to take the medicine or you don't. Really? Can I just what keep it in it? my pocket? Can I just do that? Okay, <laughs> the Valakian representative walking in in 10 seconds. Have you made up your mind, Captain Notch? No, <laughs> no, no
5: can wait?
2: we wait? <laughs> well, I think, I think I, Yeah. yeah. And I, think, I think, like, part of that, too, I mean, we'll get to the writing, too, but I think, like, there are some issues with the way that these moral dilemmas are presented and the way that these characters are, like Emily said, where these characters are presenting these moral dilemmas that we maybe would be able to connect with better and understand better if it were, like, delivered a little bit better, too, Like, I think there are some issues with the delivery that might have clarified and have helped us understand like where people are coming from and why they're making the choices that they're actually making versus like, this is a convenient end to this episode. So we're going to make it happen real quick. You know?
3: Well, and I also, and I, I, I will confess. So just because of the work I do and the things I'm reading and the, the people I interact with, I'm going to see white supremacy everywhere because it is everywhere. Mm -hmm. Like, like, let's be honest. Right. Um, but also, I mean, so I'm hearing the perspectives that are being shared by a woman and a woman of color and the, the where they're showing compassion. And then I'm mm-hmm. listening to the perspective that's offered by the white man. And so I think that clouded by judgment <laughs> yeah. as well. Like totally. it really honestly, like I put in my notes, Archer sounds like a white supremacist. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. he just yeah. um, and, and I mean, and obviously I, I don't think Archer thinks of himself as white supremacist and mm-hmm. I don't, but it just like, it just colored it just felt, I'm trying to think what did I write Um because he wants to ensure the survival of the more advanced species and I started thinking, why haven't they like, have his the, have his crew who have interacted with the Mank not had any conversations with him right? like, yep. to talk about like, you know we're actually, we're seeing something in the Mank that the Wallachians are not Mm-hmm. Mentioning like we think the Velokians are leaving something out in how they talk about the Mink. and so the, I just the whole time he's talking, I'm like, why didn't his crew come and talk to him about what they experienced right. and what they saw and what they observed? Mm-hmm. Because because th- that ultimately was where like the reason I fell on the side. I, I wouldn't want to make this decision either, so I'll put that out there. I'm <laughs> <with you laughs> but um, but that I I felt I I felt better <laughs> it would either decision was terrible um about this decision because the decision that he ultimately made because um it just it seemed to me and it seemed like flox was presenting this view that the Mank had been very suppressed by the presence of the valakians mm. and surely there's some way and and they, they tried to make a case at the beginning of the episode that two sentient species coexisting on a planet is a very rare thing right having Mm -hmm. them you know evolve together and have them both still be uh somewhat you know if not one if not both dominant but coexisting Mm -hmm. um and so they kind of allude to the fact that this is unusual so clearly one of them's gonna have to die out right they kind of set the stage for that Mm -hmm. but um i don't know it just felt like like the baul and the kelpians I think mm. there were kind of hints of that because there, wasn't there something in Discovery where they Definitely. found out from the sphere data, they found yeah. out that it actually it used to be the Kelpians, mm. you know, and mm-hmm. they kind of flipped and now mm-hmm. it's flipping back. But um, anyway, so I, there are kind of there seem to be hints of that for me as well. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it would be so interesting to see what happened with the mink if they weren't relegated to resource poor areas yeah mm-hmm. um in totally. you know on the continent if if they actually were given access to the same i mean you know mm-hmm. we want to talk about people you know you take a look at um at test scores and prison right. population right. and all this stuff. If someone's just looking at that data, they'll be like, Oh, well, clearly people of color, blah, 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 blah. Well, mm-hmm. no, why don't we have a conversation about the way resources have been continually mm-hmm. robbed from people of color, mm-hmm. you know? And so right. I, I think that's also, I, I just can't, I cannot watch t- anything without that informing totally. what I'm watching. Yeah. So
1: Absolutely. Sure. yeah. I, I really? mean, I, I yeah, I think one of the things that I, I'm having trouble with, though, is that I think Archer is coming at this from a place of compassion. He says so explicitly. He says that basically he sees a group of people suffering. I maybe I don't know which line you're talking about when you when you talk about his idea of the menk because I, I didn't catch that one myself. But so maybe if I knew a little that's bit the, more about it.
3: I think it's a, a mess hall it's conversation. In the, yeah. Yeah, it's in the mess hall. Con- it's the yeah. mess hall conversation. I can't remember exactly what yeah, the line was.
1: I, Right, I'm I'm and I'm reading that scene right now and it's okay. um but it's it's one of those things where I think the the fundamental fight here is I think between two ideas of compassion. Do you alleviate a suffering for a group of people that are suffering now or do you try to um allow a group of people that have been oppressed to find their way out from under that oppression through a natural process? The interesting thing is we don't consider option three, which is right. letting those folks out from under the oppression ourselves, right? Like that is never even part of the question. And I think for me, I I I think that that is what makes this such an interesting not the lack of the third option, but the other two is is such an interesting episode to consider is because I think you can find people who would call, I mean, we have people on this episode of this podcast who have called both options the compassionate, correct choice. And mm-hmm. I think I think that is, to me, that is so quintessentially Star Trek uh, in, in its difficulty. I, I, I appreciate what the writers were able to do with this episode as a result of that. Um, are there other aspects of the moral dilemma that we want to talk about before we take a break and come back with other stuff? Yeah. All right. Uh, let's do that. Let's take a break. We'll come back with story and writing, characters and characterizations, memorable moments, and trivia.
0: Even if I could find one, I'm not sure it would be ethical. Ethical? We'd be interfering with an evolutionary process that has been going on for thousands of years. Every time you treat an illness, you're interfering. That's what doctors do. You're forgetting about the mank. What about the mank? I've been studying their genome as well, and I've seen evidence of increasing intelligence, motor skills, linguistic abilities. Unlike the Balakians. they appear to be in the process of an evolutionary awakening. It may take millennia, but the mank have the potential to become the dominant species on this planet. And that won't happen as long as the Balakians are around. If the mink are to flourish, they need an opportunity to survive on their own. Well, what are you suggesting? We choose one species over the other? All I'm saying is that we let nature make the good choice. The hell with nature. You're a doctor. You have a moral obligation to help people who are suffering. I'm also a scientist, and I'm obligated to consider the larger issues. 35,000 years ago, your species coexisted with other humanoids. Isn't that correct? Go ahead. What if an alien race had interfered and given the Neanderthals an evolutionary advantage? Fortunately for you, they didn't. I appreciate your perspective on all of this. But we're talking about something that might happen. Might happen thousands of years from now. They've asked for our help. I am not prepared to walk away based on a theory. Evolution is more than a theory. It is a fundamental scientific principle. Forgive me for saying so. But I believe your compassion for these people is affecting your judgment. My compassion guides my judgment.
1: Welcome back to Strange New Takes. we were talking about Dear Doctor from Enterprise, and we are now gonna talk a little bit about story and writing, which I've already been doing before this section came <laughs> up. I feel like that's all I've Pro tip, to say. we're
2: always talking about story and writing, so Well, but I, it's, <laughs> it's most it's
1: mostly like cause I couldn't make up the decision to actually say anything useful about like which place had fallen the moral dilemma. love so us. I just like the writing is great though. Like <laughs> it's just so good. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah i I think we gotta talk about the the way that this episode was also framed mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. through through flux's narration
2: mm-hmm. this felt a lot like in the pale moonlight to me um in a way that like you know it has this framing device of the letter and it feels it doesn't feel art like inauthentic like obviously for in the pale moonlight captain's logs exist and they've existed for a long time so it's not like I created this cool new captain's log to Give you this narration style. And then we get this long established um, pen pal ship between Phlox and Captain, uh, Dr. Jeremy or whatever his name is. Lucas, um, Lucas thank you. <laughs> thank you. That was one I was like, did not have. Um, and so that was really cool. And what I really liked about the the way that he wrote this letter or this letter was framed is that throughout the episode, he was like, I meant to send you this letter. I didn't finish it. So I'm going to add more to it. And so it, it like it made sense that it wasn't just like, this letter is a very long letter and spanning a very long amount of time. It's like I've been intending to finish this, but I can't because I'm thinking more stuff and sending it to you. So I thought I really appreciated it as a framing device for the episode because it follows his thoughts and follows his own growth with his the things that he's um, focusing on. And I thought it was really well done. Often I don't like those that style of um, episode writing, but I really really liked it this time.
5: I, I agree. I, I, I thought it was great. And um, the other episode that it reminded me a lot of was Data's Day oh, from yeah. Next Generation, mm-hmm. um, where it had a little bit, I mean, you know, that that's more of a comedic episode, I guess I would yeah. say. But this had touches of that, mm-hmm. you know, Flock's kind of um, learning what it's like to interact with humans. Mm-hmm. You know, what is it like mm-hmm. to be in a relationship? How do I tell if this person likes me? Mm-hmm. Um, kind of addressing some of these um, lighter questions while he's also grappling with the moral mm-hmm. dilemma. Totally.
4: Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty elegant way to have him just be an observer. Also, mm-hmm. I mean, he's a participant also. But, um, and I we'll get into this more later. But I really, I really like the way they approach Flocks here, and I think it is unique mm-hmm. in Star Trek because Phlox does not have like a complex about becoming more human mm-hmm. or or proving how Vulcan he is or whatever. He's he's just like. Who he is, and he's okay, just kind yeah. of like, you know, immersed in this weird community or that's weird okay. to him, right? Uh And yeah, I, I just, I thought it was very
1: effective and, and fun. I think Flux is basically Neelix done right. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he He's not
2: a predator or anything. Yeah, it's good. Uh,
1: yeah. yeah. And less <laughs>
4: cartoony. Yeah,
1: yeah. Neelix and is such a cartoon. <laughs> it's it's interesting how they've made Denobulans such a different species than humans while at the same mm-hmm. time making flocks say some stuff i think particularly in this episode that like is very human right he's like evolution is not a theory captain it is a fundamental scientific truth like he says that like mm-hmm. like almost like turns mm-hmm. to the camera like.
2: just need to did everyone to know <laughs> what uh, is, uh, well sorry i to go off of that um not like usually with these kinds of characters or these kinds of species it's like very very logical and you're always logical and there's nothing about you that's weird like and then um like, you hear a lot about their mating habits and how much of like an absolute raucous murderous bacchanal it is. And you're like,
0: What
2: you, you, sir, you, you
3: guys be
0: because I don't see it. Which I like that. I like that. It
2: Like, like you, you, you see him as a character and you're like, this is my perception of your people as a species because of what I see. And then you're like, and lots of people die during your mating season. And it's a Okay. I, I, I was confused. I am still confused, but I accept it. <laughs> you know, like, there's a range. It's not, like, just one analytical mind. It's There's a lot of things going on there. This you might know. be
1: the most subtle episode in terms of Enterprise approaching sex. Yeah. And, like, writing about it. <laughs> anyway. <Right.
4: laughs> I, I just, I really like it. I I know I'm skipping ahead in the notes here, but the Denobulans, I mean, just what you said, like, they're, they have no kind of overriding theme. Like, they're mm-hmm. not, like, logical or obsessed with honor or whatever they're actually just like people mm-hmm. right. but yeah. weird you know and they, they, they do all these like interesting like oh yeah i just sleep once a year for a week
2: right it's like or, my, you know, my, my life is so much more interesting than a movie you're like who's wh- what is your life like yeah, <laughs> yeah.
4: Like. constant just like, sex just like <laughs> constant <that> murderous <laughs> sex But I I I I think it's more realistic and a little bit more deep than just Mm -hmm. having them be like logic 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 or whatever it is. It's less less of a caricature. Mm -hmm. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. It felt like more of a cultural exchange too, which is what I. I I miss the the murderous part of their sex. When did that happen? So it's like it's like he was in talking about the letter to to Dr. Lucas. Maybe I completely Uh fabricated it, but it was Lee was like. Yeah, he's like, because Lucas is like on the on the planet to study the mating, mating habits, season. and he was like, here are some things you should know about the mating habits. I hope you're like, and I don't think the murderous part was like this like crazy bacchanal where people get injured sometimes, and I think maybe yeah. I, like tra- like turn that into people could die. <laughs> people I, die. See, I
3: home. heard it as like. Like that he was, doc- oh, Dr. Lucas was really busy because it was mating season. And I took that to mean that lots of babies were being born, not that people were being murdered. So anyway, that's why I was like, what, did I miss something? What is it because I was running on the treadmill while I was watching I mean,
2: maybe, maybe for me, I was like, I'm just extrapolating from that. And this is what my quarantine brain is telling me. And so I'm
4: just going to go for it. Who even knows? So,
1: um, I think at this point, it is worth talking a little bit about Crewman Cutler, who's played by Kelly Waymire, yeah. who, if you all went to Memory Alpha, sadly passed away at the age of 36, oh. just a couple of years after this episode oh, wow. was made, oh, really? which is why Crewman yes. Cutler only has three episodes in Enterprise. She was supposed to have a much bigger <laughs> place. Kelly Waymire was in Seinfeld, Six Feet Under, a bunch of other good stuff. Um, yeah. So, sadly, an actress taken away from us too early, and so, um, I'm just glad we got to see her in this episode. Uh Play such an awkward. Well, she's not the awkward one. Flux is the awkward one, who's just like, "What I do? I don't know how romance work." So, (laughs) missing. Like,
2: (laughs) I I, I I struggle with this. So, this is the part that I hate about this episode, and it's not because of Cutler. I don't dislike Cutler. I think Cutler's a great character. I I liked what I saw of her. You know, I liked the the kind of like the 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 relationship stuff. Like, how do you know how do I know if a girl even likes me? Stuff was really charming and really heartwarming. I don't think that this storyline belonged in any way in this episode, and it's not because it like is jarring, but it's because it doesn't do anything to actually add to this episode and doesn't help mm-hmm. us flesh out any characters. And it sort of cuts the 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 rhythm in a way that you, typically the B plot B would cut the rhythm in a way that's like helpful or it's a little bit of a break or it adds something new. It doesn't really add anything new. The only, I think, the best part about this episode, when it comes to that B, B- plot, is the scene between Flocks and the Vulcan, whose name I forgot. To Pal. I was talking about like, how do, what are humans like, and why did you ever talk, like, think about interhuman, interspecies relationships? On one side, like that, like having talking them, t- talking to each other as like an, like two outsiders. I thought that was a really nice scene, but like, realistically, the B plot should have been between Flocks and Archer. Getting to know each other as moral beings, so that Archer's decisions didn't sound really arbitrary, because they were. Because we barely like we heard him speak really like multiple sentences, two thirds of the way through this episode, and then their their conversations about more like moral dilemma of this episode really start later than that, and it turns in this culmination of them having this huge conversation in the dining hall, and then literally the next scene. Is Archer coming through the door and be like, "You're right. I slept on it. I just, you didn't see me make any dis- any any thinking about anything or try anything new. I just you know I slept on it and um, you're right the whole time. So that's the, all of the drama right there. So we don't we don't get to understand Archer in this situation or Flocks in this situation. And it doesn't matter. I just I just want to see more like white men. But like if the, the the dinner the dinner scene between Hoshi and Phlox, which I thought was a great scene. If Archer had come into that scene and was a part of a cultural exchange between the three of them, that would have added to you know what I mean? Like so the, the places where currently the the storyline was taken up by by Flock's being like, Well, could I have sex with a human? Is that something I could do? Could have been better used to flesh out this moral dilemma and this cultural exchange between these characters. So that's my I think, that's my grievance. <laughs> I,
1: I think the place that they, they meet, and I, I agree it was kind of like it didn't really add to the. I I agree with your point that it broke up the rhythm. I think what the, maybe the writers were trying to do was that it was showing how little flocks knew about human mm-hmm. nature. Yeah. And so it was, but again, it was kind of like this. I, I can see the writer like coming up with this, writing the first scene or, or the little bit of stuff that establishes that, and then being like, "This is fun. I'm gonna write more of this," and then yeah. throwing more <laughs> of it in there. Um, yeah. And I also the other thing I think about is if there might be something else that comes through if we've been watching the series, like mm-hmm. maybe this is part of the, the overarching series, establishing mm-hmm. something different for Flocks rather than it being part of this episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the funny thing is it I don't think it does because I don't think this goes anywhere. I think is mm-hmm. in two other episodes, as I said before, um, but I don't think like this Cutler... Flocks romance. Well, I mean, was is a it going block. to like
5: did did she pass away before it got no, to that point? No, this was
1: I think her first appearance, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I I don't I I do think what what does show up again is the the Nobulin mating stuff. Like it and mm-hmm. his because what a Flox's wife show that. up. And <laughs> 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 well,
3: comes on to trip.
1: Enterprise, oh, yeah. anybody, <laughs> all of like anything relating to like TNA and sex and whatever is like That's trip. Yeah, mm-hmm. mm. um, but anyway, so so I I do wonder if 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 we we're watching it in context, if mm. we might find the rhythm a little less jarring. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't know if that's true.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, I also found that it was just so strange to me that she was clearly coming on to him. Yeah, and then when he said, "So were you, um, right. interested in pursuing?" A, oh, yeah. oh no, no, I just want to be friends. Well, B- that's baloney. Yeah. Like. That is not. You did right. not just want to be friends. I felt like she was backpedaling because she found out more about how denobulans have relationships. Mm-hmm. Seriously, and she yeah. was like, like "How I'm many gonna get out of this?" Like, like, oh, no. I don't have any problem with that. I totally have a
1: problem. I think. You know?
3: I just need. I need to get out of here now. Yeah. yeah. Unless
1: there's something about each of you that I don't know, I think I'm the one here who has dated the most recently. So I'm gonna I'm gonna infuse just a little bit of an opinion on this from that standpoint, which is that. I think it wasn't really, like, the, you know, the the very clear, like, let's just be friends kind of thing. I think she was more, let's and, see I, and this how is it what, goes kind of what I, yeah, what I appreciated mm-hmm. about this plot was, it was the the woman taking charge of the relationship, whereas this plot could have easily been written from the other side. And I actually, like, I'm surprised Rick Berman and Brandon Braga had the you know, clarity of mind to pose it like this, where Cutler doesn't have, like, any sort of ambiguity in my mind in, in what she how she's acting. She's, I think, just going for something casual and trying to just be, like... Or taking it slow and just saying, like, yeah, I just want to get to know you. And then if it goes somewhere, it goes somewhere. But we don't need to, like... I don't need to be, mm-hmm. like... We don't need talk about Denobulan right. marriage customs right now, buddy. We're just like on our first date. Like I, th- I felt that was the vibe I got mm-hmm. uh, from the from the yeah. exchange, and like especially that last one where she's talking about friends. I really I was like, whoa, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> like she just said that. The, like, dude, I heard that as let's just kind of get to know each other and mm-hmm. have a little bit of casual sex, and then we'll so see where it there. goes. Like, <laughs> so, I, mean, I think
2: I think I'll come back to my original point about this this B plot is that like. I don't dislike it. I just don't think it does what they're trying to do in this episode. Like, it doesn't really serve the episode. And so, like, I think it's a cute idea of, like, I'm I'm exploring humanity in this other way or whatever. But it, it doesn't really fit with the the stakes of the rest of the episode. So that's where I come down on it. Like, I don't dislike Cutler. I don't dislike the idea of Flocks like, exploring romantic relationships with other species because he's already, like, studying humans anyway don't i don't hate any of that it's just like it didn't do it for me in this episode and it actively took time away from things that were much more morally weighty and then so yeah like it's really weird like i haven't heard you speak this entire time but you are suddenly the person who was deciding everything i don't understand why this has happened like there's a weird jumpiness there that could have been smoothed smoothed out a little bit
1: yeah you know? Well, I, I, you know that after they watch this in Berman and Braga were like, we need a mating season episode based on Denobula. Everybody gets jealous. <laughs> I
2: mean, I feel like a lot of time. people would be like, hey, I am from Denobula and I love the mating season. It is my very favorite season. I'm a Denobulan and
1: <laughs> right? in all the like, cons uh, and stuff. I mean, I, I, I watched Carbon Creek after watching this episode because uh, me and my partner were just enjoying it. And so we are like, and it is the carbon creek spoiler has an egregious uh amount of uh sexualization in one scene that really does, i think mean, talk about something that breaks up the rhythm yeah you have a character changing behind a sheet and it's like dude what is and this is the problem <laughs> with enterprise and rhythm it's just that it just like it mm. mashes things into the 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 series that should not be there, and this is mm-hmm. actually potentially a great show. Right, and I don't well, it gets remember. To be, it's like early
2: two thousands. It gets to be the sexy one. You know what I mean? Like the nineties were the time for everyone's being like, we're gonna hold hands, and that's our mating ritual
1: and they're like well
2: tv can be sexy now so we're gonna be a little bit sexier for no reason
1: (laughs) but but at the same time i think watching both carbon creek and this episode they're good episodes they're great they just have these like moments where you just Mm -hmm. have your head in your hands like picard style and (laughs) you're just like why did you do this like almost to the point where i want to be like can we refilm like bring the actors Mm -hmm. back refilm some of the dialogue if it's like relevant to the plot and Mm -hmm. recut the episode because it there's good stuff in here. Uh, by the way, one correction. <laughs> Kelly Weimar, this was the second episode. She had three episodes in the first season. Mm. Her first appearance was in Strange New World, hey, which I believe hey, is this, the the episode after Broken Bowl." And then there's another episode called Two Days and Two Nights, which I think is... Yep, it's the... They take Shore Leave on Riza. Ryza. Ryza.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love Ryza.
1: So uh, I want to yeah. talk about a
2: little bit about Hoshi, though, and the exploration of the Universal Translator and all of the work that she does. Because I... I mean, first of all, incredible that it, that was kept in, I mean, really highlighted in this episode of like her working on and calibrating the universal translator, but also like even with the universal translator technology, she, she's still trying to learn Denobulan fluently too and invest in a relationship, of friendship and like getting to know another species because we know that that's sort of at the very beginning of its life in Starfleet, right? Mm-hmm. Like humans talking to and becoming friends with non-humans is sort of new and maybe shaky. I thought I really, really liked her as a character, and I would love, I mean, when and if we watch more Enterprise, although I can't sit through that fucking theme song ever again <laughs> in my life. Um, I would love to see more about her because I thought that the, the, her, the, the attention that they paid to her and her role was really, really well done. And I really liked it.
4: Yeah, I, I love the scene with her and Phlox in the mess hole. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it seemed really authentic to me. I mean, what, I don't yeah. know. I'm, I'm assuming most of us have studied a foreign language at, yeah. at some point. And I just thought it was cute and enduring and a lot of fun, yeah, <clears throat>
2: mm-hmm. definitely.
1: Yeah, I think I, I'm i trying to remember now, it's been a while since I've watched Enterprise all the way through twice. And I think Hoshi's one of those characters who has a really strong premise, but like, they, I'm not mm. sure how much they do with her. She yeah. gets some really cool stuff in the Mirror universe, she becomes the Empress. Uh, spoiler alert but uh
2: does every asian character go to the mirror universe and get cooler <laughs> is that what happens in in star trek because i'm seeing like Giorgio does that right and then mm-hmm. uh kim becomes an imposter from the mirror universe right and then we have <laughs> is that was, is that just what happens with asian characters on star trek
1: i, I don't know hmm.
4: uh, i think sulu has like a dagger and fights someone that's true. right. <laughs> so <laughs> um notch i was just gonna say that what you just said applies to like every character on enterprise <laughs> perhaps <laughs> most egregiously to poor travis mayweather who right <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> uh, <mean> travis, <laughs> i think travis and hoshi are are developed less than some of the others um and so i
3: wonder it, why that could be hmm. right what does hmm. you think about those two <laughs> what is what is right. it
1: oh man th- they I probably don't... had anti-decon scene writers in their contract right brick yeah. um <laughs> anyway uh but yeah it's 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 kind of um it's kind of sad but yeah there, there's like you're saying a great great premise on that i think that's some of the charm of early enterprise in my opinion is some of these like. How did we get to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the later stuff? Like, it wasn't just like they one day they popped into the Enterprise and the galaxy class ship soared away, and then right. the next 400 mm-hmm. years was all the same. We had to learn, and of course, not the whole I want a directive of some sort. What like, it's not all that, all that obvious, was... <laughs> but but it, it is it is nice seeing a less developed Starfleet. Um, yeah, and well, I, I think, enjoy that.
2: I mean, we were watching it, and uh, like, I think the, the first a scene on the bridge where, like, she has to look into, like, a periscope to see if there are any life signs on a ship or whatever. I was like, I see why people were pissed about Discovery. (laughs) Like, I understand the design of Discovery for a lot of people. I feel like this is what Enterprise is. People are like, ah, we're going to go back before this point. You're like, nice. I get why the light-up, glowy, 3D modular thing probably pissed some people off. (laughs) Like, it doesn't bother me, but I see why it would definitely bother people who we're coming at it from like a, a, a timeline point of view.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, they, they clearly went for the submarine feel, right. Totally. With the enterprise, like it's, it's basically you're, you're in a Ohio class submarine and I, I, really, I think someday we really just need to do an Enterprise-focused episode. Maybe we'll do the third season or something, and at the end mm-hmm. of it, we can just talk about Enterprise for a while. Because it's, I feel like that show gets so much hate, and of course, as I've been piling on some of my own in this episode, <laughs> like it is, there are some egregious things about it, but much like we were talking about last week with TOS and some of the stuff that you just have to kind of shut mm-hmm. out of your head, because it, mm-hmm. it, otherwise it, it gets too much. I think with Enterprise, if you're able to do that, you get some really great pay off there are some truly great like quintessentially star trek things about that show uh the theme song is not one of them uh (laughs) that uh that really shine through if you give it that time Mm -hmm. of day and um yeah i have always enjoyed it to be perfectly honest just myself
2: Mm -hmm.
1: but uh yeah anyway uh any any final things that y'all want to talk about any trivia or memorable moments
2: um I love I think the, 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 the Beagle. Oh, Sorry, just the, the appearance the of the beagle. beagle. I was like, I forgot about a Beagle. I was very excited about I, it. And then you're only like, on this is a small part.
3: I think that dog is so beautiful. He's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> But I, I w- you mentioned the, or you don't mention, you have in the notes, the flocks eating the caterpillar, but <laughs> I was, <laughs> the thing that, I thought that was a really nice setup, the way they opened that episode, is to show you how primitive medicine mm-hmm. is compared to original series and after, as mm-hmm. far as, you know, so I thought that was kind of a clever way for them to show that, you know, with him just going around and, yeah. you know, talking to and feeding all of his animals and...
0: <laughs>
5: yeah i i totally agree um i think kind of along those lines i i really appreciated in this episode how much they um, kind of referred to the the context that this story is mm-hmm. taking place yeah. in, and you know referring to like first contact with the Vulcans and drawing all of these parallels between the experience that they 're oh, having me. on this planet um there 's just like much more of a sense of sort of like awareness of of history um than I think we typically see in Star Trek like often I think that Star Trek feels almost like separate mm-hmm. separated from uh historical events, but this felt very like grounded in a specific sort of time and place in history. Um and then just one more quick thing, uh, in terms of the writing, I don't know if we've got any Lord of the Rings fans <laughs> here, but there was just one moment that that caught me where, um, Phlox is you know talking about how he uh is going to defer to the captain, and he goes, well, he is my captain. And I just wanted him to say, my king. <laughs> <laughs> the way he delivered it was like almost, oh, almost, yeah, almost right. But. That's incredible.
2: <laughs> remind me, though, um, when the Valaki in the first the scout um, mentions that he they have had interactions with other warp-capable civilizations, he mentions the Ferengi. And remind me, because doesn't Archer turn to... Her name was, I forgot her name T'pal. again. Paul, thank you. So I was gonna call it Taplat, and I was like, Taplat is very, Taplat is very, <laughs> and it was not that. Um, but uh, so he turns to Tapal and he goes, Have you ever heard of them before? Doesn't she say no? Is that right? Yeah. She does, which is incredible. I thought that was an incredible detail of like. Because we, we know that the Frankie exists, so we know that that's legit. And so for a while, I was like, okay, maybe the, the part of this is like, we can't trust that you actually know warp-capable people because we've never heard of these civilizations before. Maybe you're just making it up kind of stuff. And that obviously wasn't the way that it went, but I thought that was a really great historical context detail mm-hmm. that kind of just, like, flashed right past, but it was like, chef's kiss, kiss. That's awesome.
1: <laughs> I, I want to... Really want to find a way to do a series on like terrible episodes like when they introduced the Ferengi and TNG. Oh my god, and I don't know how to do it because like we'd just be sitting here talking trash for 60 minutes, which (laughs) and we'd have to watch
4: the episodes,
1: (laughs) (laughs) right? Exactly, (laughs) just complain about
4: it for like (laughs) the whole yeah, but
5: then then we We could do a watch along, I guess. The Deep Space that Nine Ferengi episodes oh, yes. are amazing, oh, so right? It's just like, yeah. it's
1: night and day between it's Next incredible. Generation and right. DS9. Mm-hmm. I mean, except profit and Lace. but Yeah, that's you know. pretty bad. That yeah, 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 yeah pretty fair bad. enough. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, it's just so funny to me that they thought the Ferengi were going to be replacements for the Klingons. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's lo- it makes
4: me Ridiculous. Laugh. It's ridiculous.
1: They, they do show up, the Ferengi do show up in Enterprise and Acquisition because, you know, Star Trek producers can't leave well enough alone if, they, even if there's even this canon that contradicts something. Much like the Romulans, they show up in Enterprise, um, <laughs> and nobody sees them because everybody's knocked out. I can't remember now exactly, but it's uh... <laughs> anyway. Whatever. <laughs> so there's a there's a trivia note here that somebody else put in, but I'll read it. Christopher Rydell, who plays the unnamed alien astronaut, is the son of Joanne Linville, who played the Romulan commander in the original series is the enterprise incident also notably one of bill's favorite episodes as he said in last week's episode
4: yeah Mm -hmm.
1: that's cool Uh, nice so so that did happen all right folks strange new ratings who wants to stick their neck out and give this episode a rating
4: yeah i'll go first i'll give it an eight out of ten i liked it a lot i was Mm -hmm. surprised i thought it was just a lot of fun love flocks interesting story yeah
2: yeah
5: i i agree Mm i i I, i'm gonna go 8.5 i think i i really enjoyed this episode um flox is a great character we didn't talk much about um i don't know the actor's name but his performance i mean Mm -hmm. he 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 kills it um I, i just love his his delivery and his presence on screen um i think he's one of the maybe one of the better doctors we've had on star Trek. Gosh, he's an awesome doctor. Yeah. He's, he's amazing. Um, you know, and I I think the, the moral dilemma was, was great. Mm -hmm. You know, we had, you know, as we mentioned kind of people on both sides of it, which I think is the mark of a, a good moral dilemma episode. Um, and you know, I think some of the quibbles we had, or, or some folks had didn't bother me that much. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the romance with Cutler or whatever, um, you know, I didn't really see it as a full B plot. I I, I thought of it as maybe just like a little flavoring to, to kind of break up the heaviness of the moral dilemma that we were dealing with. And so, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with the 8.5. Mm-hmm.
1: All right.
3: I think I'll go with, a I I think, four, four out of five, maybe even a little four plus out of five, because I think this is one of the moral dilemma episodes where – that with it like both decisions were wrong mm-hmm. and both decisions were right, yeah. you know, like I yeah. like I feel yeah. like there's a really good there's a really good case to be made for both, mm-hmm. um, and so it does feel like like you know I I'm glad that I wasn't Captain Archer and I didn't have to make that call. So mm-hmm. that's a good moral dilemma episode. Sounds
2: good, yeah. I would say I'm like I'm about an eight out of ten too. I think it was a really I agree it was a really rich moral dilemma that gets richer the more that we know, which I think is really cool. It's kind of like a more layered moral dilemma as we go into the episode. Um, I can't really get past how some of the stuff was a little bit underwritten or, you know, some time was taken up with, uh, you know, the, the side plot that maybe should have been taken up with building a little bit more that would help the actual end of the episode because that, that quick turnaround of, like, I we disagree fundamentally, I've, I've slept on it, you're right, <laughs> like, is a little <laughs> bit much for me. Um, but uh, but like, like like the quibbles of, of that aside, I think the episode was really impressive and i was expecting maybe to hate this episode and i for sure did not and so i'm really (laughs) i'm really excited about that so eight out of ten for me
1: yeah same and for all the reasons all of you have already said so i won't belabor the point um well with that remember (laughs) next week we're gonna watch past tense in deep space (gasps) and bill has a thing that he wants to add
4: i'm sorry I just, uh, since we're on Enterprise this week, I thought I would share, there's a, like, I think a a rumor that Archer, that uh, Scott Bakula is going to get cast in one of the new series.
5: Shut
3: up. I saw that too. Presumably in
4: Strange New Worlds. I don't know if it's true or not, but I just thought I
1: would throw that out there. As Archer Archer? or as somebody else?
4: Uh, Presumably.
1: Well, but remember, in Star Trek 2009, Simon Begg's Scotty had beamed. Yeah. Admiral Archer's Archer prized dog. Beagle and mm-hmm. lost it in transport, which by the way, are very cruel. That's so sad.
3: Uh, I know.
1: Right. So so oh, we could I have Admiral know. Archer in Strange New worlds It'd be Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. That's we should also have Admiral Tuck. Oh wait. Yeah, with him. <laughs> um, <laughs> Maybe the hologram was broken when Riker and Troy ran into him. <laughs> 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 anyway, anyway. Well we'll see. I, I hope that happens. We'll get to talk about it if it happens on that show. Remember again, watch Past Dance next time. Uh before next week's episode. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Dinah. Thank you, Max. Thank you, Bill, for being here today. I do appreciate you. y'all. Thank, thank you, nice. thank you nice. of course yeah. always uh thank you rudy and uh adam i had to think about who they were for a second <laughs> who are these guys my best friends yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i love them so much <laughs> I'm just joking guys i uh, hope y'all are having a good time wherever y'all are uh thanks to jishnu guha who wrote our theme or no, didn't write it i keep making that mistake like jishnu guha is not the same person as john williams um he's equally or, talented or- though
3: no, it's not John Williams who wrote that theme anyway.
1: The Klingon theme? Was it no, somebody it's else? Uh, Goldsmith. Uh, oh, Jerry, Jerry Goldsmith. Jerry Goldsmith. We tried to get uh, John Williams, nah, but just, he just, just,
3: just, <laughs>
2: Jishnu, Jishnu you has real. the same.
1: <laughs> Jishnu has the same initials as Jerry Goldsmith. Maybe oh, he's Jerry <laughs> Reborn. So, um, yeah, there we go. Uh, thanks, Jishnu Guha. I do appreciate <laughs> you. that you recorded our theme music. Uh, thank it's you, awesome. dear listener, for being here as well. We appreciate all of the time you spend with us. Uh, we really appreciate y'all. So uh, feel free to write to us on social media if you want. And uh, thanks to the. Uh...
2: <laughs> did, did you have one and you're laughing about it or you do not have one and you're just making shit up right now and you're laughing
3: about it? <laughs> were, you, were you about to read? Was it, what was it in notes? Yeah, yeah.
1: I was. And it's last week. So I was I, just. Oh, uh, sorry, dude. No, no, no. no that's okay. No, no, no. That's okay. <laughs> I, I just want to say uh, special thanks to um,
2: the guy, was... the Mank guy, who organized all of the samples by family and by <laughs> blood type. Because he fucking killed it. <laughs> you crushed it, Mank guy.
1: <laughs> I mean, sure. I, I was gonna. I was gonna thank Ingrid Bergman for giving such a terrific incredible. performance oh. in Tarzan, which Man. I think was the movie that they were watching. It's incredible. In the theater. But anyway, <laughs> Meg Guy's probably more deserving. So yeah. <laughs> there we go. All that right, was, everybody. <laughs>
3: Sorry, Go ahead. I just thought of something else, but it's the end of the episode. <laughs> 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 we are not this for a little bit this more? This is the <laughs> after
1: credits scene. Well, it's fine. Shenanigan <laughs>
3: no, I just was thinking, God, old Hollywood and the way they used to cast people. It's a tr- that no, is bad, bad.
2: Anyway, oh, anyway. <laughs> yeah. All right,
1: well, with that, dear listener, we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.